Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for these words. Open our hearts and our minds to see more of you, your truth, your beauty, and your love in the person of Jesus Christ. Send us your spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. This morning before we come to communion, I want to reflect with you a little bit on the word faith. Um, It is a word that has appeared many times in our readings this morning, and I think if you spend any considerable time in churches like this, you will hear that word. Um, I think it's important to reflect on faith, not just as a word, but as a concept. So I think that the word faith causes a great deal of confusion for many people. And if you hang around churches for any period of time, you're going to hear the word faith quite a bit. We talk about it in terms of the faith, the Christian faith. Um, We also talk about the idea of having faith and losing faith. Um, It's the water in which we're swimming in some ways in church life. But it also is a word, faith, that means different things to different people. So this morning, let me suggest to you that the word faith is often confused by the way we use it and the concepts that we're presuming are behind it. And to illustrate this, I want to come to um, a Jewish philosopher. Um, I was having my very first um, lunch that I had with the um, Jewish rabbi, who's also an American, of the progressive Jewish um, community, Beth Shalom. Um, This was last year sometime, and we were having a casual conversation. And I said something like, well, that's what it means to be a person of faith. And he said, whoa, hold on. He said, just so you know, we use the word faith very differently than the way you understand the word faith. And I was caught off guard by that because I had been around many Jews before and that was the first time I was kind of put on notice. Hold on. When you use that word, be very careful. And I wondered what he meant by that. And then I stumbled upon this um, extract from this Jewish philosopher, Martin Buber, who wrote sometime in the early 20th century And he wrote a book that translated into English is called Two Types of Faith. And in this book, he proposes that there are two, and he thinks only two types of faith. The one that is based on trust, and the other that's based on belief. Faith that's based on trust, and faith that's based on belief. The former is relational, and the latter is dogmatic. The one is grounded in relationships and community, and the other is more individualistic and rooted in the acceptance of propositions as truth, ideas. Buber would argue, and I think Rabbi Dean was trying to tell me, that in its essential expression, Judaism is a type of faith that's based on trust. Whereas Christianity is more often than not one that exemplifies the type of faith that is based on belief especially belief in things like the divinity of Jesus and the resurrection and all these other things that we've heard this morning in our passages. So Buber's entire argument is that perhaps something um, beyond faith as belief is something we should dwell on. Um, And it's something that I think that Paul has in mind when he's talking about um, the faith in Christ that's so uh, prominent in Romans and in particular as he points to the faithfulness of Abraham, the story that we heard in Genesis that Paul in chapter 4 now is bringing back up. Buber believed that Jesus was more at home in the trusting faith of Judaism and less concerned with the belief that faith would characterize later developments of Christianity. 
But this morning, let's just focus on this basic distinction between the kind of faith that trusts and the kind of faith that believes. I think the important thing to realize is that if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you're going to get both ideas. You're going to get both these concepts of faith that is trusting and faith that is believing. And so the distinction between these two things, I just want to confess, is a bit arbitrary. Scripture speaks both of trusting and believing. In our reading this morning from Paul in Romans, we have basically this argument that faith, uh, the faith that justifies, the faith that saves, is um, the faith that brings us into right relationship with God and reconciles us to God, is the type of God that trusts, that trusts in God. And to prove this point, Paul shows, um, brings our attention to the paradigm of Abraham. Abraham is the paradigmatic person of trusting faith. He leaves his family, he takes his, his own family, he leaves the, the land of his father and his people and his tribe and he takes his wife and his nephew and all of their servants and attendants and their animals and their livestock and he journeys out like a nomad into the middle of nowhere, into a place that God will promise to give him. And God promises that I'm going to make you uh, the father of many generations, of many descendants, and he's old. And so he wonders how this is all going to happen. And yet he simply believes God. And by believing God, he trusts that whatever God is going to bring to pass, God will bring to pass. And so Paul wants to say that Abraham is the exemplar of a faith that trusts. If you read other places in the Bible, you read John's gospel, well, John's gospel is all about believing. John wants you to believe that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God. In other places, um, Paul also pivots to belief. He pivots to systematic theology. Um, believing this means this, and if you believe that, then it means that. Um, and so it becomes very systematic and dense, and all of a sudden, it's less about something that we do with our hearts, this trusting exercise, and more something that's happening in between our ears. And we all know what this feels like. We've been confronted with concepts or ideas or words um, in our faith journeys that all of a sudden don't resonate with us, kind of on a body level, on a heart level. They don't evoke a sense of trust or a sense of relaxation, but they actually make us a little anxious. And they make us kind of, you know, they keep us awake at night, staring at the wall going, I wonder what that means. I wonder if I'm okay. I wonder, how does this all fit together? All of a sudden, it's an exercise that's happening in between our ears. Why is it important to distinguish between these two things? I think it matters because it can be a stumbling block to some people, right? It's often a place where Christians... Um, on many sides of many issues um, fall down with each other over miscommunication of ideas, oftentimes, or using the word faith to describe their own sense of conviction in a way that doesn't resonate with another Christian. And I think at the end of the day, it's useful to talk and to slow the conversation down and say, are we talking about a faith that trusts here or a faith that believes? Because it's important in the conversation that we might have here. It's also important to to talk about because when we boil down Christianity, we do have to reckon with this dividing line between the type of people who believe um, that uh, faith is uh, a set of ideas and one must adhere to those ideas and those convictions, and then kind of another group that believes that faith is more this lifelong journey of learning how to trust. Um, and interestingly enough, I think it's along the journey of faith, we bounce intermittently between these two types of expressions of faith. But 
In the end, it's important because nowadays in our modern era, most of what we talk about when we talk about belief um, has moved from being about belief to thinking in terms of trust. We've moved away from the particular way that faith is now being used as a litmus test in many ways, as a bar that people have to jump over. It's being used in many ways um, as, um, by, by a privileged few to determine who's in and who's out. And of course, that is a sense of faith that's quite narrow and problematic. And if you read the Gospels or if you read the Bible in particular, I really struggle to see how God just requires pure mental understanding of the great mysteries of faith in the universe and how that's just simply enough and how God doesn't require more, this journey of trust, this journey of moving over a lifetime. Um, Once again, I was reading another author this week that said that after a very long life, they had arrived at an understanding of the faith that had more to do with trust than it had to do with certainty. They had trusted God to be God even when they couldn't say who God was or weren't sure if God was there. But they trusted that God would sustain the world and them through all that had happened in their life. They were trusting God to hold them and to love them in life and in death without giving one shred of conclusive evidence that it was so. So while this understanding had the welcoming effect of changing faith from a noun to a verb, it wasn't understanding per se that told this person how far they had strayed from the center of some kind of old spiritual map. And that's truly one of the things that we encounter in our lifetimes, of straying off the map of belief. And when we do that, we need to come back to faith that trusts. Interestingly, and I think paradoxically, paradoxically, Paul is asking us to believe uh, in a faith that trusts, <laughs> which is typical of Paul. He's laying it out as a good scholar would, but he's saying at the end of the day, if you want to have an example of what it feels like to have faith, look at Abraham, because Abraham had every reason to not believe. Abraham's story is not a story of systematic theology. Abraham wasn't asked to believe 20 you know, ridiculous things before breakfast. He was rather asked to simply trust that where he was being led and the future that he was being given would come to pass, and that even if it didn't, that God would take care of him. I think the same is true of us, that we are being given faith, and we are asked today, this morning, through these words in the Bible, to seek out a faith that trusts God, that sees God as a nurturing and a caring God, uh, a God that bids us come and follow and that will supply everything we need along that journey, which is what makes this table so important as we pivot to this table. Because one of the ways that we understand this table is that along that nomadic pilgrimage of life we call faith, we need to be fed. We need to be washed. We need, to be, we need our thirst to be satisfied. And the way that God does that is by way of this table. And so of all the things that many people have talked about happening in communion, one of the most, I think, grounding and deep things is that at the bottom of it, this mysterious table fellowship with God as host is nurturing and nourishing 
the faith that is within us. That by taking this bread and this juice that we are nourishing a faith that is within us. We are nourishing a capacity to trust God, to trust ourselves, to trust each other. And I think that's a fabulous, fabulous thing. So God gives us this table to feed our faith in a very real way. And so this morning, I simply want to invite you to come to this table with whatever faith you're bringing, whether it's a faith that's grounded in systematics and beliefs and ideas, or if it's a faith that is journeyed off the spiritual map, much like Abraham did, and seeks to trust. I invite the faith that is trust within you, the faith of a child, the trust of a child. I also invite all of the faith that is in between your ears to come and lay down and take a rest and simply be filled and fed by the table that God has set before us this morning. So may God add its blessing to this table and to these words, I pray, as we prepare to have our faith fed. Amen and amen.